Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Be inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Happy Fourth of July, everybody. How wonderful to be with you as we celebrate our nation's independence and birthday yet again. Um, Truly a remarkable country we live in. I'm so grateful and I feel so blessed uh, to be an American. I did grow up overseas in different countries and uh, being here and appreciating all that we have in terms of our freedoms and just everything that America stands for and all the incredible men and women who over the past 200 and some years have made this country what it is. I am forever indebted and grateful to you. So I hope you're all having a wonderful, happy 4th of July. Lots of fireworks, hot dogs, and good times with your families and those that you love. And so tonight's show, I'm actually going to be uh, playing one of my best of, which happens to be an interview with my favorite singer, or one of them anyway, in the whole world, Todd Rundgren. I got to speak with him a couple of months back, and I thought tonight was a good night to talk to this legend in the music business, someone who not only made great songs and great albums way back when, but is still doing so, still touring, still writing music, and still always ahead of the curve uh, when it comes to music and technology. Todd Rundgren is truly a a legend in my book, and I hope you enjoy it as well. So we're going to hear that tonight. And I want to thank Balance of Nature, Fruits and Veggies in a Capsule and the Whole Health System. Balance of Nature sponsors this show, and they also are a company that truly believes in all the principles of what America stands for and uh, all that we strive to be. They're actually celebrating the company in Utah this weekend in a grand way. And they just want to always say thank you to our servicemen and women and to our veterans and to uh, our forefathers, everyone who has made this country what it is. I know it means a lot to them. And if you go to their website, you might see their new video. Uh, Lex Howard, the CEO, posted about what he feels about this country and how balance of nature um, is just so uh, blessed to be American. And so For the rest of you, Balance of Nature is fruits and vegetables in a capsule. It is supreme nutrition for your body in a way that you would never be able to get or buy the amount of vegetables and cut them up and prepare them and have them be um, at this ultimate way of of getting them in your body. And uh, we can do it every day with Balance of Nature. It's the only product like it on on the market. And it is just an incredible, incredible way to boost your immune system, to give you mental clarity, to give you energy like you've never felt before and to ward off some of those things that you may uh, fall uh, prey to like in in sometimes in cold and flu season and other uh, types of things it's uh, Dr. Howard doesn't claim to cure anything with balance of nature but let me tell you there are thousands and thousands and thousands of testimonials of people who have gained amazing benefits from taking the fruits and veggies and the whole health system. You can do it too by ordering at balanceofnature.com, balanceofnature.com, or by calling them at 800-2468-751. Always put the word Laura into the promo code. That will give you 35% off your first order as a preferred customer and free shipping. And now on with the show on the way home with Laura Smith, Todd Rundgren, don't go away. 
We'll be right back. Balance of Nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. I'm a scientist and by all accounts, a health and fitness nut. So I was looking for something that I thought might give me just a little bit more edge. And I've tried many things and I'm very strict in terms of my diet, my exercise, my lifestyle. I'm pleasantly surprised, I must admit. I typically in the winter times have respiratory issues or colds, and this is the longest period I can remember where I haven't had one. My body is experiencing something that it's never had, and then knowing that the change is because I took balance of nature, and it's worth the money. That's all I can say. It's worth the money. Experience the balance of nature difference for yourself. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com and use discount code Laura. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, this is one of those moments where I think, um, I don't know, you wonder your whole life um, if dreams really do come true. And I can say from my own experience, um, not once, twice, but actually this is the third time it has for me. Um, my favorite singer, since honestly, I hate to date myself, but since 1970, 70 for me, 71, something like that. <laughs> Can you imagine? I heard of a guy, my big sister. I I was listening to the radio on a station called WLS, if you can imagine this, in 1971, 72. And I said to my big sister, who is that? And she goes, that is Todd Rundgren. And I said, oh, my goodness, I love this song. And then my father was in the room at the time. And he was like, I love this song, too. Meanwhile, there we go. We Flash forward, what, 48, 50 years, something like that, 52 years, and back on WLS, but now as a, a host and with the most prolific, brilliant, and amazing singer, songwriter, producer, inventor. I, there is just, just no words. <laughs> Todd Rundgren, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can you Great. believe that? I mean, we're talking, what, 52 years of a so- solo career at this point? Well, let me see. You said around 1970 or early 70s. I think that's around, yes, 1970 or 71, my first solo album came out. Yeah, that was Runt. I remember that because you sang, we've got to get you a woman. And, he, and you saying it, Laura, I heard, saw you open in L.A. was your line. And I used well, to pretend you were singing it to about me. you, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was about Laura Nero, who is my my second a favorite besides you in the world, but um, God bless her. Love her. Um, so Todd, you know, I was thinking, what do you do? You go back and you talk about the history of your whole career and stuff. It's kind of hard. I just actually got to see you on Sunday night in Chicago at what is actually your virtual tour called Clearly Human. And but you get 19 people to come in and socially distance, watch it live um, pretty much almost every night. And you're doing this till March 29th. That was, first of all, after a year and a half of this pandemic to be in a in a venue and seeing live music was it was just like somebody shot in the arm for lack of a better word um you're doing this and it's unbelievable well it's better than doing nothing <laughs> i tell you that um 
Yeah, my I was supposed to be touring um, last May, and then that tour got moved to the summer, and then it got moved to the fall, and then it got moved to this February, and then it got moved again to <laughs> uh, next fall. <laughs> and so at a certain point, you just get tired of waiting for things to happen, and you have to make something happen. So I decided that I would um, try out this virtual touring experiment that I'd been thinking about for a couple of years. And uh, since there was nothing, no other possibilities, you know, it was time to see whether this experiment was actually viable. And viable it is. I mean, you've always been ahead of the curve. You were always experimenting with with video and um, just computers and everything. You've been doing that longer than anybody in the business. And so it makes absolute sense to me that you would be the one to come out of the gate doing this type of, because it's not just people are, you know, there's a lot of artists right now that are doing kind of, you know, little concerts from their living room, which is wonderful. And everybody around the world gets to see them. This is actually a concert experience and it's happening. So for the people that don't get to be there in person, because only 19 tickets are sold for the live performance with you and your 10 member band, but then the people all over the world get to, to tune in online, but it's a full concert experience. You are in this venue in Chicago um, every night, but ev- when you do the shows, you're geofencing them so that they are particular to each uh, city uh, around the country. And I think I was there for Wisconsin, but um, <laughs> you were there for uh, Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, for some reason they build it as Milwaukee Madison, like there was some venue halfway between both cities or something. <laughs> but, but I liked all the little jokes, you know, about the cheeseheads and stuff like that. But I guess that's so for each show that you do from a different, you know, into a different state every every night, um, you're kind of doing jokes and things like that from the stage that pertain to the people there it's it's an incredible experience because while i was dancing for two hours straight the other night behind me was this row of videos um i guess they were on some type of screens that were behind me and you could see the people that were listening to the concert from their homes and that was it was an incredible feeling yeah it makes a big difference to us um when I was designing the thing, you know, a lot of the concern, of course, is how are the users experiencing it? Does it compare to their expectations and things like that? But I don't think anyone paid as much attention to like the performer experience as I put into it, you know, because you're doing 25 shows from the same venue, but you don't want to feel like you're doing a residency in Las Vegas or something. (laughs) They're designed to be sort of local experiences like a real tour would be. And so we're having, you know, not only do we get to see people's faces and get reaction from them, which is kind of essential um, to the experience for us, but also we go through a whole sort of localization process in the backstage area so that we're like familiar with the the town that we're playing to. Um, we get reminded of the things that we already know about the city, but also find out things that we didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like um, when you're on the road, normally you'll spend a day, maybe two in a, in a particular town and you spend half of that sleeping it off, <laughs> you know, just because. Right. Um, because you work at night, you sleep during the day, and um, you don't get to fully experience them. And of course, when 
in the pandemic, you don't get any sort of experience of them. So the fans uh, essentially are helping us out. They send us boxes of like local memorabilia, which we festoon the backstage area with. We set all the clocks to the local time so that we are always doing a show at eight o'clock, you know, and wherever you are, what city, whatever city you're in, the show is at eight o'clock. And that makes it different from doing like one big show for everybody because, hey, if I did the show and it was eight o'clock in New York, it'd be five o'clock in L.A., you know, it's absolutely for most people. So and you're still doing meet and greets, which is just incredible that you, you've managed to figure out how to do that, too, and make it seem so personal and just kind of like the old days, you know, pre-pandemic. Um, that's. If for people who have not seen you in concert, and I can't imagine who that would possibly be, because after 52 years of you performing, I, I've seen so many of your shows, people who don't know that you are still creating music and dropping albums literally every year, basically, or almost every year. The shows that you put on, every time I see one, I go, okay, that was the best he's ever done. Two years next you're doing another type of, of this video light show behind you that is so unbelievable. The the one I saw, I guess it was two years ago or 2017, was for your um, White Knight album. Ah, yes. The video with that was so incredible and spectacular going with the music. But it's, it reminds me of what you're doing now for this show with all the psychedelic, beautiful, beautiful lighting and video behind you. It's so exciting. It's just and you're dancing around the stage with this amazing band. Um, so many people that actually are have been playing with you for, I mean, what, 30, 40 years? Chasm Sultan, Prairie Prince. Prairie um, Chasm, yeah. Um, well, a lot of the core of this band was actually there when we originally toured um nearly human uh, the album back in uh the late 80s 89 so, yeah <clears throat> a lot of this uh we've been waiting to do for decades you know wanted to bring this show back but it's a very um it's an expensive show it's a big show it's hard to take around because of all of the personnel and the support for the personnel all the infrastructure and stuff so it it's a tour that might not have happened, but for the fact that we had a pandemic that kind of forced me and everyone else to think in different ways. And that's one of the things that makes it possible for us to do such a big production because we're not taking it down every night, you know, and right. it, you know, <clears throat> it's, um, and you've got your three backup singers, your your wife, Michelle, in the middle there. I loved seeing her. Um, well, she's so great. I rem- pretty much, you know, her dream, her dream come true. I mean, I like performing under any circumstances. So if I was going to if I was going to do the tour that we originally intended to do, then I'd be happy doing that. But um Michelle is into the whole thing, you know, not just the performance, but every aspect of the show business that goes into it, you know, the making of the costumes, you know, the, uh, um, the choreography, I love the choreography, choreography, you know, all that sort of stuff, working out little gags and stuff to do throughout the show. You know, it's, uh, just even the whole routine, you know, the several hours that we spend from sound check till, 
uh, we go on actually for the show, all the hustle and bustle backstage, you know, getting your hair ready and all of that stuff. She's so into that. So she's a doll. I remember I actually went to see her do a stand up comedy night at a a really cool uh, Lower East Side. Uh, it was a, a club. It was a, like a club, a comedy club. And she did a stand-up night. And I went to see her, and I absolutely loved it. What a fabulous, funny lady. And um, I rem- Donald Fagan was in the audience. I remember that. We were talking during intermission, and we were talking about you guys. And, and uh, yeah, it was just she's terrific. You just have such amazing energy, and, and she does too. And your whole band – I, ironically, I actually know Elliot Lewis. He's a friend of mine. He's been on my show a couple of times. And I have a, a story about Nearly Human. I used to go get my tapes for radio when I wanted to be a big disc jockey on a big station in New York City, which I accomplished with the help of a producer in my little town of Mamaroneck, New York, where I lived for like 40 some years. And the producer and I were huge Todd fans. We would ended up talking about you for every session. I'd go in there. We'd talk me. We'd exchange music. And he gave me Nearly Human one time. And I was so grateful. I fell in love with it. My daughter did too. So years after that, and he and I still work together, I gave him liars. And I was like, you're not going to, I said, it's impossible that all these years later, he keeps putting out these albums that are blowing my mind. I loved that album. Well, just so you know, the producer I'm talking about who was helping me with my tapes and our kids went to school together is your guitar player, Bruce McDaniel. <laughs> God, God, we got so so few degrees of separation, I guess, it's after being in, the, being in the business for this long. Yeah. I mean, I knew Elliot from the, you know, doing the shows, uh, doing like the Daryl House show, but also um, maybe 12 years ago or so, I uh, maybe a little longer than that, I uh, opened for them on tour for a while and actually used their band. So, Elliot had already learned some of my music from that particular tour. Um, so that made it convenient. And, uh, and Bruce, uh, he kind of came on recently. He played the last gig that I did before the pandemic, which was a cruise from, uh, from San Juan, Puerto Rico to Miami, you know, right. one of these rock cruises. Yeah. And uh, my regular guitar player, Jesse, um, had some uh, medical issues and couldn't make it. So uh, he's worked with Bruce. Um, Bruce is uh, somewhat of a regular at a club in New York called Iridium, where they play jazz and fusion music and stuff like that. And so uh, and Zappa, he does a Zappa band and a, and a Todd Rundgren cover band yeah, also. A yeah. mashup of me and Frank Zappa with a guy named Ed Palermo. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there was a, a lot of connections. Grace, one of the singers, she was in the show that you saw, um, the, um, the White Night show. She was one of the global girls. And um, actually, I think there's only one person that's really new, and that's Mia, the other singer. Mm-hmm. Um, almost everyone else I've uh, worked with in some context or another, Bobby, the sax player, of course, and um, and the trumpet player that he that he brought along actually was in a band with Michelle in San Francisco, you know, like in one of these sort of 80s cover band things, you know, that would play right. corporate parties and stuff like that in <laughs> San Francisco. And it had been so long since she worked with him, she forgot. She forgot she knew him. <laughs> so, 
It's there really like one, that. you know, one person that we haven't, you know, haven't worked with in some context before. And that's, that's Mia. So it's kind of a family reunion as well as being a, a musical reunion. Well, I, re- I know that Bruce told me because his dad, both of it, his mom and dad were Juilliard uh, musicians. And um, his dad told him growing up, you know, always practice your whole life for the gig that you would love to have. And one day it might happen. And even if it doesn't, at least you'll be ready. And so all those years, 25 years ago that he and I were exchanging your music and stuff, he was always playing your music in the studio when I would walk in and we would sit down. So he, you know, and I saw him the other day before your show and, and he just said, I was ready because I had literally practiced as though one day I would actually be doing it and he's doing it. So it's just a beautiful thing and good music, brings good people together. I saw you, I, I'm going back now. I'm trying to think when it was when you, I saw you, to- was it Toad's Place and y- Yale University up there? What's that pub? Toad's Place? A lot, I've done a lot of Toads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you did, um, Todd, Runger, your, your album was With a Twist. And uh, yes. I grew up in Brazil most of my childhood. Um, and so you did all of your big hits. I saw the light and hello, it's me and all these songs, but you did them in a bossa nova. I thought I died and gone to heaven because my two favorite things came together, bossa nova and Todd Rundgren. And I thought, how is that possible? But that was just one of the many amazing iterations of that's what you do. You just take something and you make it new and you make it different and you make it the same. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith, and my guest is Todd Rundgren. We'll be back in a moment with more. Don't go away. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. My guest is Todd Rundgren. And what's next? What's next for you? Because I have a feeling you have another album coming out. Well, I'm still in my collaborative phase, and I started another collaborative album um, right before the pandemic and got maybe, you know, halfway into it before, you know, everyone went into lockdown and it made it hard for people to get into the studio. So that kind of went into a sort of suspended animation, but it's been moving along slowly, but surely. Um, we've it's been kind of like a duets album, right? When you, when you say collaboration, you're, you're teaming up vocally with people, well, sometimes um, it's vocally, sometimes I'll do all the singing or sometimes I'll share the vocals. Um, and then sometimes the other person will do all the singing. I, you know, I just make my mark on it somehow. <laughs> and uh, uh, we haven't gotten a release date yet for the whole album. I suspect that maybe some, I may complete it by the early summer. It'll be early fall when it comes out. But we've been releasing singles from it in the meantime. And the next single will be a collaboration between me and Sparks. Um, There's a new uh, documentary movie about Sparks that just came out. It was at the virtual Sundance Festival. And and I make a brief appearance in it. And uh, that'll be out in a couple of weeks. They're just finishing up the video for it because the label wants videos to go along with it. And I don't know, we may release another single or two before I get the album done. But um, once we get over the, you know, the worst of this and people are are getting back to their normal work, um, into their normal work habits and stuff like that, we'll get it wrapped up. Do you think you're going to go back um, the way you were with full-fledged touring live in person, or has this sort of 
kind of piqued your interest in it and motivated you to say, well, maybe I could do this for other things. You know, we could do this virtual geofencing type of tour. What do you think? Well, I am um, scheduled to do uh, a terrestrial tour in uh, <laughs> last I heard was October. I don't know if they'll move it again. And I imagine there's always a possibility that if the audience doesn't prove to be ready, in other words, if there aren't enough tickets sold because people aren't comfortable going back into crowds again, that could right. possibly move yet another time. But uh, I have thought about the possibilities of this, um, both in terms of may, maybe augmenting regular touring, but also go, going to places virtually that I couldn't go to otherwise. Like right. it'd be very difficult for me to go to put together a real South American tour. I don't, the cities are far apart and I don't have huge audiences there, but I could virtually tour South America um, just like I'm doing um, North America. So Absolutely. Uh, it, and that wouldn't be too hard. It's also possible I could do places like I could play Vietnam, you know, or someplace. Right. Like, um, but it would be at a it would be eight o'clock in Vietnam be some ridiculous hour for me whenever we're doing right. it. So um, that's kind of one of the biggest challenges and why we based ourselves out of Chicago so that we wouldn't be too far off. Um, right. If uh, you know if, when we did our East Coast time zone shows we essentially did them an hour earlier, which is wasn't so bad. You know, starting a show at seven instead of eight isn't that uncommon. And starting a show like for a West Coast show, eight o'clock on the West Coast, 10 o'clock here, that's not too ridiculous, you know, starting a show at 10 o'clock. So again, it's, you know, part of the important part is our own experience, you know, that we as performers still have basically the feeling we have when we do a when we do a gig so i don't know what it would be like having to do a show at maybe 6 a.m in the morning to, you know to compensate for some you know the huge time zone difference but you know we would figure it out somehow Todd, you've been singing or in a band basically since 1966 it's so hard to imagine because you're so not any different than you were than when I would listen to you or see you, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever. What is it about you that keeps you so like relevant and ageless? And I'm not just trying to compliment you. I truly mean it. It's bizarre. I was watching you dance on stage the other night. It almost looked like a cross between a samba and a jig and you're singing. And, and you first of all, your pipes are golden. They're absolutely still flawless after all. I mean, and you're 72. That's that's out there. Everybody knows it. But to look at you, watch you, and experience you, you're completely ageless. You could be 30 up there. And I just wonder, like, where does that come from? What is this? What makes you young and keep you going? Is you're just constantly living the life of your heart and your dreams? I think uh, that it's a big part of it. You know, doing the show itself and setting the bar at a certain point. You know, like. People often 
just, you know, like do what they know will be accepted. And they'll, you know, they'll have a, a career of, you know, maybe a string of hit singles that go over some, uh, uh, several years or something like that. Maybe, maybe they'll have a special decade, you know, where they had a lot of hit records. And the rest of their life they'll spend in that decade, you know, musically just, you know, doing the, the music that they did then as if everything had stopped. And I don't see myself as, first of all, ever retiring from music. It means too much to me to, you know, to get out and perform. You know, it's a, I have a kind of special relationship with my fans that not everybody has. So it seems like an integral part of my life and I have to do something. It's part of what drove me back out on the road here, you know, is the fact that if you go too long without that sort of communal experience and you wonder if you can ever recreate it again. So in some ways it's me just never wanting to get off the horse for fear that I won't be able to get back up on it again, you know, and as long as I keep the bar high in the shows, you know, and make sure that I am essentially exhausting myself <laughs> um, through the process, I think that's what keeps me young and keeps my performances vital because it's, you know, it's the most complete form of exercise that I get. It's highly aerobic, you know, because I sing the whole two hours and, um, and I think that it's it's good for me. It's physically good for me and keeps me from um, from aging too quickly. Uh, at, or at all. I danced for two hours <laughs> the other night. It's the first exercise I've gotten since the pandemic, I think. I felt like, oh, my gosh, I felt I was coming alive again. It was amazing. I remember seeing you at Joe's Pub in the city. Um, Joe Jackson, you had written almost like an operetta, if I recall, and I'm trying to remember the name of it now, but even that, you're always writing, you're always creating, and you could have done anything, honestly, or you could have probably written plays and, and all sorts of things. Where, where, did that, uh, where did that go, and where did it come from? Um, that was up against it, um, and it was originally done for the Public Theater in New York, um, Public Theater and the New York Shakespeare Festival, kind of like um, the same organization. Uh, yeah. One kind of focuses on Shakespeare and the other develops new works and stuff like that. So, um, and Joseph Papp was in charge at that time. He was the one who actually turned the organization into what it became. Amazing and man. They, I remember meeting him. Yeah. And they acquired a, a treatment that was written by Joe Orton that was supposed to be the Beatles third movie, I think. And there's a whole horrible story that goes with why that never happened. Um, but they acquired the rights to, to make a stage musical with that original script. And they asked me if I would do the music for it. Um, principally because I was known as a, uh, something of a Beatle expert, and I had aped Beatle songs, and then we had done uh, um, The Face of Music, which was a whole faux Beatle album with Utopia. Yeah. That was so awesome. And, yep. and I think they thought that, okay, he'll write a bunch of Beatle sounding songs to go with it, and I did not, <laughs> because unbeknownst to them, I guess, you know, um, musical theater was a big part of my you know, my basic musical upbringing, my dad 
was really into musical theater and he would take us to summer stock and we see things like Kismet and Music Man and all that other stuff. And then I became really fascinated with Gilbert and Sullivan in high school and learned almost their entire libretto. And then a little later on discovered Brecht and Weil. And then of course, Stephen Sondheim and, and uh, Leonard Bernstein, you know, West Side Story. Um, all of that was like, that was what I was thinking when it came to writing music for the stage. And so what I came up with resembled more a mashup of Gilbert and Sullivan and Brecht and Weil and Sondheim and nothing at all beatle about about it, <laughs> which uh, may be one reason why it was never hugely successful. But it didn't keep me from like reviving bits of it. And the, sh and the show that you saw at Joe's, that was um, the first time we had put together uh, the original cast as much of the original cast as we could um, just to do a, uh, a little revival of the musical part of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I remember I'm, Joe Jackson up there and, and there was somebody else I'm trying to remember now, but yeah, I loved it. I loved it. I didn't, I didn't know any of the songs. I didn't know you wrote music like that. So it just completely threw me. I was just lost myself in it. It was a, it was an amazing evening. It was a lot of fun. And you know, it was actually right after Liars had came out and Joe Jackson really loved the album and said, if there's anything, you know, we can do together, let's do it. So he appeared in the show and did a part in the show. And then we got together with Ethel and did a show at the Delacorte Theater in Central Park. And it went so well that we actually went out on tour with it and toured the U.S. and Europe with uh, me, Joe Jackson and Ethel String Quartet. Oh, wow. I mean, it just, I, all of them, I mean, I, I, they all bring back such really amazing memories for me. And I know for all the people who have followed you forever and the Utopia concerts too, of course, I mean, those have always been so thrilling. You have, you have your Utopia fans and your Todd fans, and then the ones that just love, love all of it and every bit of it. Um, and they're never disappointed and um, it just keeps going and growing. And I, honestly, if I had to pick out a favorite of anything, I don't know what it would be because it would just, it, every time I think I know my favorite Todd song that there's another one, you'll write another one. That's like, even on the last album, that just becomes my favorite. It's, it's really an incredible gift. I'm so grateful all these years of uh, the joy that has come from hearing you, listening to you, sh sharing you with my daughter, which, by the way, she was an infant when I was playing all your music in the car back when we had CDs and stuff then. And she's now a musician, an electronic musician, lives in Berlin, Germany. Bruce McDaniel played on one of her shows one time. <laughs> but if she... Uh, she knows I'm talking to you today and she them when they're young. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, see, see, I'm on second and third generation fans. Now I have fans who's, you know, I've certainly fans whose parents got into it very early and now they have kids of their own as well. So I have like original fans, grandchildren that coming to the shows. Yeah. So it's uh, it, that, that works out well that you know exposing them very early to the music <laughs> thank you from the bottom of my heart on behalf of all the millions of people who have loved and listened to you forever and ever and will continue to do so you bring us joy you bring us hope you keep us young um you make this world a much happier better beautiful place and i just i don't know what else to say but thank you for being here on my show 
and on the earth. <laughs> Todd Thank you great. so much for having me. And um, I will continue to be on the earth, even though this show is ending. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be 99 up there and doing, you know, with a twist or something. I don't know. I can't wait. No, Tony Bennett's still doing it. And if Tony can do it, I'm going to try and do it. You will. Absolutely. No doubt. Todd Rundgren, thank you again. Lots of love to you and yours. Keep rocking out this great. I want to tell everybody you can go to no, uh, Todd Rundgren dot no cap show, no cap show.com, Todd Rundgren dot no cap show.com to get tickets to watch it virtually. It's a concert that you it, you can't even imagine. It's like the old days, like seriously, get tickets for it. it's $35. You can see this whole amazing show um, live from your living room, or you can go in person in Chicago like I did, and you can be one of 19 people. You have to be COVID negative to walk in the door and you're socially distanced and such. But um, to do that, go to the website also, toddrungren.nocapshow.com. See how you can get your tickets in person or virtually. Thank you again, Todd. Thank you so much, Laura. Talk to you soon. Much love. God bless. This is The Way Home. We'll be right back. Balance of nature's fruits and vegetables in a capsule. Changing the world one life at a time. I am a retired nurse. I thought being hungry all the time was a part of being human. And no matter what I ate, I wasn't satisfied. And I thought in order to maintain any kind of decent weight, I just have to always be hungry. I had decided no more miracle cures in my house, but I kept hearing about balance of nature, and I thought, maybe one more try, because all that other stuff just wasted my money. And the first day that I took balance of nature, that was gone. I enjoy my food, just like always, but I don't have to keep eating to be satisfied, so I am so thankful for balance of nature. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 1-800-2468-751 or go to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code Laura. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, we're going to talk about something that maybe you weren't expecting, but by all means, Great information for those of you who have ever had to deal with a situation, whether it be uh, in an apartment complex, in your child's college dormitory, or maybe in the senior living center where uh, your parents are. Bed bugs are prevalent in the United States. I actually lived in New York for many decades, and although I lived outside of it, about 20 miles, people, friends that I had who lived Right downtown Manhattan had to deal with this problem quite often, and it was something really terrible. It really affected their lives. And I'm very grateful to have someone here with us today who is going to maybe help uh, find some solutions and really give us some great information. Joseph Latino is the bedbot expert and president of Allergy Technologies. Joseph, thank you so much for joining me on the way home. Uh, thank you, Laura, for having me. Yeah, so I I mean, I remember, and, you know, I think people have an idea that, you know, if you have bed bugs, it just means you're dirty. And that has nothing to do with it whatsoever. I I know some of the greatest people, um, you know, in, in all different walks of life that were dealing with this problem in New York City, because once one place gets it, they just permeate throughout these these large buildings and such and it was so disconcerting for them and I remember them trying absolutely everything to get rid of them so tell us 
uh, with your findings, I know that you've, uh, you have a multi-pronged program that's been very successful. Tell us about what you know and what you can do to help this problem, Joseph. Okay. Well, you know, I, Laura, you, you, uh, you gave, you just gave your listeners a lot of great factual information. So I, I applaud you. Um, we started a program called ATTACK, which is an acronym for the Allergy Technologies Affordable Housing Control and Prevention of Bedbugs, which is a mouthful. But it specifically was targeting affordable housing and can be expanded to multi-occupant dwellings like apartment houses, et cetera, because we recognize, and most experts do, that affordable housing is the single largest repository of bedbugs throughout the United States. And it poses a lot of challenges both psychological, social challenges, because typically in these particular community living environments, there are financial constraints, there are concerns about eviction, there are concerns about over the social stigma of bedbugs. So we, we, we took all that into consideration to develop a program, but frankly, instead of doing the old, the same old, same old, as they say, and looking at it from a reactive standpoint of treating it when a problem arose, we looked at it from a preventive standpoint. How can we prevent the problem from occurring and looking at holistically at the entire facility level rather than just specifically on a unit by unit basis? So we developed, a we developed a program like that. Um, we really specifically analyzed the shortcomings of previous attempts. And we recognized that we really wanted to develop an atmosphere of collaboration between the residents, the management, uh, the staff, um, so that they would have total buy-in to the program, because once you get buy-in, then you get er an engagement, then you have the opportunity to get early reporting and early intervention. Um, Laura, we typically say we'd rather treat the snowball than the avalanche. So we want right. to treat the as early as possible. Absolutely. So if I met... I remember that um, a friend of mine who <laughs> they used to have a dog, a beagle, go around to each of the apartments and this dog was trained to smell out whether or not the bed bugs were there. And I'm telling you, this was in a, even in a very, very wealthy building. Um, you know, the hundreds of thousands of dollars, these apartments were, wasn't affordable housing. So it, it's a problem that I can understand the social stigma that goes with it, but it really has nothing to do um, with anything. They just, they, they go where they go and they like where they go. So tell us some of the, the, uh, prophylactics, um, for lack of a better word, um, that you have for treating the bed bug problem. Right. Excellent. So going back to the program, and, that, and that'll kind of get weaved into it, we actually did exactly what you said. We screened every apartment with canines because it's an easy way of detecting in large areas. We treated every unit in this 470-unit complex, this demonstration for attack. Um, we treated every unit, and we removed or I should say, eliminated the bed bugs to detectable limits in all those units. And then we put preventive measures in. And that's exactly what you're asking. The, the single best product, and it's usually a multi-pronged approach, but the single best product, I believe, is our, our Active Guard mattress liners that we produce, which goes on the bedding, goes on the mattress or box spring. It is the only product that is labeled by the EPA and FDA for these purposes. And it controls bedbugs for two years. Now, it's not meant as a frontline tool. It's not meant to be put on infested beds, but it is the unrivaled product when it comes to preventing bedbugs from reintroducing and reemerging. 
we put that the, those preventive tools, we put in certain desk and dust, dust that dry out bed bugs if they happen to walk on it, a lot of other tools that went into the program. And then we monitored the apartments periodically. We're now in the 17th or 18th month of the demonstration. And I have to tell you, Laura, the results have been remarkable, far greater than anything we could have envisioned. In terms of eradicating the bed bugs completely from the mattress covers? Well, not only did we remove the entire, we, we took the entire facility and brought it back down to like bed bug zero. But going forward, we were able to reduce over 97% of the units. Now, remember, I, I have to kind of give a little background that this is a property that had 80 to 90 incidents a year previously in 2017 and 18. We reduced over 97% of all units from ever having a bed bug problem again. As a matter of fact, over the last 18 months since we cleared them all out and put our preventive measures in, there have only been four units that have had introduction of bed bugs. And three of those units were very localized. A few bed bugs, either alive or dead, that we were able to extract. And in one case, they brought in infested furniture. So the results in that regard have been tremendous. We've reduced the number of treatments. That's that's an important thing. I don't think everybody understands that bed bugs don't just go to beds. They they can infest furniture. I remember the big thing was in New York, don't ever sit on those wooden benches, those really old benches that were put in in like the 60s or 70s uh, in the subway stations because they were wooden and and people said that they were infested with bed bugs. So um, I I truly understand. Um, there's a lot to learn about this. Uh, Joseph Latino, if you could give us a website where my listeners can go and find more information, both on the prevention and uh, the products that you have um, sure. with the program that you developed. Sure. There are three easy ways. Uh, you can go to our website at allergytechnologies.com, learn about our product, learn about bed bugs. Uh, gives us a, it gives you a portal to contact us. Also gives you, your, your listeners an opportunity to even buy our product if they so choose. You can contact me directly at joseph at allergytechnologies.com, or you can call us at our office at 215-654-9988, and we'd love to speak to you and also talk about our program and how we may be able to bring that program to your city as well. Oh, that's wonderful. That'll give a lot of people help and and hope, I think, um, to tackle this problem for sure. Joseph Latino, you can reach him at joseph at allergytechnologies.com. Allergytechnologies.com. Thank you so much, Joseph Latino. We really appreciate you being on The Way Home today. Thank you, Laura, and have a great day. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, everybody, happy, happy Independence Day. And I'm so grateful to be with you tonight. And if you have a chance, uh, thank someone who is in the armed services uh, for all they do to keep us free and safe and, and their family members who have done so for uh, generations upon generations. Jim Cleefield, Bob Small, thank you always. I know we always go out on some good news on a Sunday night. So happy 4th of July to you both. Thank you for being here. And Jimmy, what do you have for us in the good news department? Well, I guess Peaches and Herb got it right years ago when they sang that song, Reunited, and It Feels So Good. Well, I want to tell you the story about a reunion of a woman and her dog that was two years in the making, pretty close to it, but an unusual set of circumstances. This happened in May 2019. Aisha Navis's dog named Kovu, it was a mix. Uh, it was a Pitbull Rottweiler mix. 
escaped from the home when a truck hit the fence where the dog was sitting at the time, had no positive identification, no tags or anything else. The dog was missing for weeks, and you can imagine, I mean, she was just really traumatized by that. Well, the dog was finally found by a local Humane Society, and there was no identification, so they brought the dog into the Humane Society and was claimed by another family who had that dog for about two years. Now, sad for the family, unfortunately, recently, because they got evicted, the dog had to be sent back to that very shelter. But, as they say, this is a blessing in disguise for Ayesha Nevis because she was scrolling one day recently trying to find a new pet to adopt to replace Kovu, and she happened to focus on one picture and one picture only. She looked at the dog, it had the, the very same markings, everything else. She said, that's my baby, that's Kovu, because the dog had been renamed Ash by the other family. So she went to the shelter, eventually reunited with the dog, and the guy that was holding the dog, I mean, the dog, she was afraid that maybe she, he wouldn't recognize her, Kovu wouldn't recognize her. Well, the dog ran up to her like she never left, hugged and kissed her and everything else, and she was so happy, and she apologized to the pooch. and said, I'm so sorry this happened to you, Kovu. I will never let you go again, and they are just so happy being together and just it's a great ending to the story oh i love that so the dog literally escaped got adopted by someone else and then was returned to the shelter what was it two years later yeah two years later i mean i i guess you know there was she must have been so traumatized she needed some time to process it maybe she, she needed time to know? heal and then yeah. decided to go you know god works in very mysterious and wonderful ways that is an incredible story well thank you that is a beautiful way um, as we go out, and I'm sure so many people are in the middle of watching fireworks right now. But I hope you get a chance to keep it tuned on and tuned in to tonight's show. Thank you again to Todd Rundgren and to my wonderful engineer, Bob Small, and Jim Cleefield, the voice of, uh, well, butter. Anyway, we thank you all. Happy Independence Day, America. Lots of love from the way home. We'll see you next week.